came, I had a poor experience in employment here, getting the job, then keeping the job. And I realized that it can't be about the job. It can't be about the status. It can't be about the money. It has to be something deep. I need to find purpose in what I'm doing. And I have children looking up to me. What do I want them to remember me as? What is that legacy that I want to leave back? Welcome. I'm your host, Rohin Bajram. I'm a leader with a 20-year career trajectory, aspiring storyteller, mom of a son and a fur baby, first-generation immigrant, and uninvited guest in Canada. I'm also on a mission to redefine the faces of leadership through speaking, consulting, and writing. Unspeakable Leadership is a space to reclaim our stories and empower each other to see the value in how we as women of color, lead. You will hear from extraordinary women I have the honor of getting to know through this podcast and beyond. Whether you're aspiring to be a leader or currently in a leadership role, I hope you'll join me on this journey of unpacking experiences, lessons learned, sharing laughs, and likely a tear or two. Let us grow together in conversation. Hello, everyone. Once again, we are here with another incredible speaker. It is a great honor to be here in conversation with the Chief Operating Officer and Co-Founder of the Inclusivity Institute for Better Data, otherwise known as IIBD. Let me tell you a little bit about this next speaker. As a Black woman in the vanguard of leadership, Dara Dillon co-founded the Inclusivity Institute for Better Data. IIBD, with a clear vision to ensure that data reflects the diversity of the world it measures. Her trailblazing journey in leadership roles across private and public sectors has culminated in a resolute commitment to champion the voices of the underrepresented through her work at IIBD. Her unique perspective as a Black woman has been crucial in shaping the Institute's approach to inclusive data practices, reminding us that diversity in leadership not only inspires change, but is essential to crafting solutions that serve all communities. In her role as COO, Dara's leadership style embodies the resilience and determination that often define the experiences of Black women in leadership. She is the beacon of inspiration, demonstrating the profound impact of representation in decision-making positions. Dara's personal and professional journey, marked by both challenges and triumphs, resonates deeply with the aspirations of women striving to make their mark in the field of data and beyond. It is such tremendous pleasure and honor to be in conversation here with Dara. Dara, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Rooney. It's a pleasure to be here as well. And thank you for inviting me. Oh, no. I sit here and I think the moment that you had answered the call, which happened to be in the middle of a meeting where I said, hey, Dara, do you have some time to maybe be on a podcast? And your instant response was yes. I just think of how much I have gratitude because often I think the doors to those yeses aren't easy for many of us to be able to find. So I'm going to start with a, just a little question, but one that hopefully 
<laughs> will lead us in, in different directions. And I would love to hear, can you share with us your leadership journey and what drives you in your work today? When I got this question initially, Roni, I stopped and I thought, should I go far back, like 20 years back, or should I take it in parts, digest it, and just give you the part that I think matters to me now? I would consider myself a continuous learner, and I'm all about growth and building on every experience, be it personally or professionally. So for me, I started off in the corporate world for profit, telecom, and technology. There I struggled. At that time, I didn't realize that getting to leadership was a struggle. I just thought it was the way you'd have to go through in the corporate world. You build your reputation and somebody will open a door for you. And then I realized that is not how it goes. But I have some key takeaways from that experience. Strategic decision making, I took that from there and I said, I'm going to take this. Let me try public sector. And when I migrated to Canada, I worked in the public sector and I felt hmm, strategic decision making would be useful here. And then you come across the bureaucracy of what public sector could be like. But again, I took some lessons from that. And one of those lessons to me was community engagement. I would have worked then with the seniors in the community in Toronto. And I felt this engagement was important. I was the face at the time. I was the person I was dealing with the communities. And I said, oh, I really like this. This is where I see my value, my worth. That didn't work out well. <laughs> and in my moments of, I wouldn't call depression, but in my down times when I post public sector, I decided that, hey, let me take all the things I know. Let's put that all together. Me with a friend, we decide, let's take all the skill sets that we have and make this into a turning point for us. This is our pivotal moment. We're in a new space. We're going to figure out how to use everything we know and find a cause that matters to us very deeply. And that brought us to data and research. We were both very much involved in research initially. And then we did a course in data science and we figured, let's see how we could marry all of that and come up with something that we can really use as a tool to shift what's happening in society. So data, in our opinion, once inclusively gathered and thoughtfully analyzed, really has the power to just, just change things, uplift voices. And I call the communities we're talking about the under-resourced communities, not underrepresented, not marginalized. I don't like those terminologies at all, but to really raise those voices and for us to really drive that change that we want to see. And I think that is what gets me up every day. Every day now, I wake up ready to advocate for change through data. Wow. So powerful in that shift that you shared, Dara. I'm thinking of how often some of the career decisions that many women of color are uh, sometimes forced to make is one of uh, financial security or needing to really think about how will this impact my family and, and not just my 
immediate family, if let's say you find yourself in that sort of nuclear family type of sense, but the family members that are here to come, the family members who are perhaps connected in a different country because you're thinking about grandparents and uncles and so forth. And then here you are sharing that at some point in your career, in your leadership journey, you looked at the lessons you've learned, the skill sets you acquired, and then you overlay that with, where do I want to make a difference? How did you make that decision? That's a big, profound decision. Like what allowed you to get there? Moving to Canada. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I mean, saying it out loud, it may be received poorly, but for me, I moved from being in the dominant race in my home country. I may have had privileges then that I didn't know and I didn't see because I didn't have to. And then I moved and I didn't move to Canada first. I moved to the UK and then Mm -hmm. I came to Canada. But I think it came in my face. It was in my face as much as we want to deny that that level of systemic discrimination does not exist. It's in your face when you're working the system and you're working through the system. And again, my favorite lens to look at everything is intersectionality. When you look at my intersectionality, I look at myself, woman, black, immigrant, a little up in age, so I'll add age to that as well. And then I add mother or parent. You add all of those intersections, how you experience, experience the world is different it's so different and you feel things differently from this lens and so I came I had a poor experience in employment here getting the job then keeping the job and I realized that it can't be about the job it can't be about the status it can't be about the money it has to be something deep I need to find purpose in what I'm doing and I have children looking up to me what do I want them to remember me as what is that legacy that I want to leave back that I had a great position and a great job in a good institution and every day I'm feeling sad every day I feel less than myself no that's not what I want to be remembered I don't want my children to see that in me and the evenings I'm so tired I'm so beaten down that I can't spend time with them So I had to come to that realization that this is not what I want. And this is not what I want for what I would call the sunset of my life. I want to do work. I want to make change. And I want to be purposeful in society. But I want to be purposeful in a way that that resonates with me and resonates with people that I interact with and resonates with my daughter more than just saying, "Uh, okay, she's the director of. What does that mean? What does that mean? mean for her what did I do how did I affect change and this generation is demanding that from us so I decided I'm a woman I'm black I'm an immigrant so what can I do how can I shift it what came up first was to work on black women in the workplace and then I kind of zoned it in because before I had my public sector job I did work at a university and what that experience would have been like for me and if I felt like this how many others are feeling like this? So let me look at that. And I think that's how it got to there. Some of the other projects that our organization is doing, they all are based on personal experiences. 
my experience of trying to find somewhere to rent in Toronto. I was one week away from homelessness. I had to leave where I was and I spent six months looking for somewhere. And I came home an evening and I was in tears. I was ghosted. This was the most times I have been ghosted ever in my life by real estate agents and landlords. And I had that experience here. And this is not the only place I've lived. And I wondered, am I the only person experiencing this? And you start asking these questions. If I am the only person experiencing it, is it me? Who else is going through this as well? Can we look into it? What are they doing about it? And so I think all of that is what kind of drove me to looking at what is out there, what data is available, and what is being done after they've seen that thousands of people are having this experience and nothing is shifting. We're just talking about it, writing about it, but nobody's doing anything. So I guess that's what kind of led me to it. My personal convictions, one, and my experiences, two, they came together and they became more powerful than everything else that I had going on. The title, the money, it just really, it spoke loudly. It woke me up at night. Dari, you have to do something. And that's why I got here. Wow. Dara, I can't thank you enough for making that shift. And I say that because I think I've been in the presence of yourself and, and other women of color. And, and I'd like to mm -hmm. also include myself in that community of change makers mm -hmm. who have had to step out of a comfort zone that we've curated, right? We've curated this over sometimes decades and we've sacrificed and we've had to pay some pretty costly prices. And, yes. and then you, you get to a point, you get to a point in a, in a leadership journey where one might say I've made it like, this is it. Like, mm -hmm. this is, this is good. I'm, I'm feeling yep. good mm -hmm. to then start to feel those rumbles of the, that calling mm -hmm. and to make that decision that I'm going to leap once again into mm -hmm. an area of sacrifice, an area of discomfort. Um, it takes a lot of courage to do that because the reality is there's an alternate choice and the alternate choice is coast, mm -hmm. right? Maintain the status quo. Don't disrupt. Stay in your lane. And the <laughs> words are endless in terms of the messages we get. And yet you decided, no. Mm -hmm. And that power of saying no, it sounds like it's allowed you to now enter a space where you get to question whose story is really being told and hold accountable mm. who's actually in a position or should be in a position to be doing something about it. And so for those of us who are listening to this, I really want to draw listeners' attention to Dara did a phenomenal study and, and a study that I hope will, actually I don't hope, I know because I'm going to invite those who are listening to really drive this call to action that you are asking institutions, you're asking organizations, you're asking also other women of color to come forward and share their experiences and their stories. Mm -hmm. And that is a study that you did in looking at the experiences of Black women in higher education institutions. 
Let's start off with one question, and then I, I probably have a second question that's attached no to that. Problem. The first question that I ask is, what do you think women of color bring to organizations or institutions when they can actually lead effectively? Because that might be a question that we can surface together. Colloquially, I'll say we bring the sauce, we bring the fire, we bring it. And when we bring it, everything just gets better, in my opinion. But if we were to dig deeper into what we bring, we bring unique life experiences. Ooh, we bring resilience. And, and I don't want resilience to be a negative term because resilience always sounds as though we had to go through the fire and now we build this strength. But it's not just that. To build your own business is resilience. To endure what you're doing at work in some of these white spaces is resilience. It's pushing against the green constantly. That resilience is not a bad thing. I think that's our strength. And then we bring these perspectives that I believe are invaluable to any institution or organization that we work. Black women and women of color are not a monolith. Your experience is so different from mine. And the thing that we can do, our diverse backgrounds can add the source to the food. It can add the source to the institution. We approach problems differently. We see solutions. We have out of the box thinking, I believe if given the opportunity, we can really shake up a space. And then this is part that I think is crucial to any organization, any division, any department, empathy, strength, and that ability to just make people feel safe and comfortable in our space. When you do that, you know what happens next? Innovation, creativity, out-of-the-box thinking. Because once people are okay and they feel comfortable enough to give an idea, they will give it. And we can do that. We bring that to any team that we're in. I think we're great leaders as young women in your home, culturally, we are supposed to take the leadership role at home. We run the households and we can take those same skill sets and bring it to work. So we know how to lead. In learning to lead and leading well, we can listen. We listen. As a mother, you have to listen to your different children, their personalities, their stories, how their day was. That same skill set can be replicated at work. And I think that's vital for any organization to truly connect. We bring the source. We're it. We're the it that most organizations are missing when they don't have it. And those that have it and have women of color, and I go further, as I always do, Black women in leadership rules, they innovate. They create things that are so out of the box, that are so great that everybody wants to repeat. One of the people that I look up to and I can speak highly of is the chief diversity at Meta, Maxine. She's a fellow Trini, so that's part of it. But let's go further. Since she's been at that helm with a direct link to the chief operating officer, we've seen changes in Meta that I think people overlook because they bring the source. Metaverse on its whole, it's innovative. 
No one else was doing it at the time. And I believe that she was instrumental in having that happen the way it did. And so I would always use her as an example of bringing the source. She shifted what would have been Facebook into what is now Meta. And if you look at the timeline, you would see that with her in that leadership role, I think that's what made Facebook become what it is now. Oh my gosh. I've got goosebumps here, Dara. I just want to pick up on something that you said that is so profound. And that is when women of color, indigenous, black, racialized women lead, they're doing so from a historical legacy and an ancestral legacy of, of having to lead. Like it, it was not an option. I often think and reflect of my own experience of coming from Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. I had never, never experienced growing up how to be, quote unquote, a damsel in distress. <laughs> like, it was never, right? like it was <laughs> never an option. Like my, if I tried that, my grandmother, it would be my mom, it would be somebody else who would say, what's up with you? You'll be okay. And you know, that in itself, we've got some healing and some work to do. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, what I truly believe it also taught us was how to hone in our leadership skills, how to be comfortable with making decisions, how to be mm-hmm. part of reimagining the solutions and the possibilities, mm-hmm. all of which you described. And so leadership for us just comes so naturally. Naturally. That innovation that you just highlighted with Maxine's leadership and many other individuals' leadership is that mm-hmm. it sounds from what you said, we're also not afraid of taking a risk. Exactly. Stepping into an unknown territory, uncharted waters, mm-hmm. and to be able to say, I don't know if this is going to work out. Here's the research I've done. And here's why I do think taking a chance is going to get there. And so Thank you for highlighting that that source is both in the presence of women of color in organizations, and that source is also coming from a deeper layer of ancestral recognition mm-hmm. that it's within us. You didn't think about that before. You've oh. been doing this for as long as you've known yourself. Yeah. It wasn't called leadership. It was called being a daughter. It was called being a girl in a family that you had to lead you had to know because and I I grew up hearing no one's going to help you so you have to figure it out as traumatic as that might mean now you have to take the good out of that that has allowed you or me to leave our little space where we were before come into these new worlds and then take up leadership roles with ease and I think that helps you were willing because it didn't seem unfamiliar, it didn't seem hard because you had to do it before. And you've been doing this. We've all been doing this. And, you know, I think that is just that reminder that you've given us may carry forward in the many spaces that any of us find ourselves where we might question. Yep. Do I belong here? You do. Yeah. Oh, I love it. 
Now, I wouldn't be a good host if I didn't ask you to do this. Like, subscribe, or share this podcast with people you care about. <laughs> so, here's the question then, Dara.、Mm-hmm. Why can't we lead? What are the barriers that、Ooh. continuously come up that we have to face as women of color leading in organizations? We're fighting a system, and it's not a simple one. It's very complex, it's layered, and it's endemic to the societies that we live in. And we're not just talking about the Western world, we're speaking about everywhere. We've all been colonized by somebody. And that system was designed. First, to divide, to conquer, and then to keep you in that space. It's a system that I i don't want to say that I don't see us beating. It's going to take a, just as long as it took to build and to replicate and to repeat and to continuously run. It's going to take us a lot. But I think the division, the separation of who's whom. Which country we're from, which region we're from, that is keeping us back. One, I think if we all band together, if you see a sister down and you're in a position to help, why not help her? Why not say, I see my sister down, look my hand, let me help you, rather than saying it's not your fight. It may not be your fight today, but it could be your fight tomorrow. And I think that is important. When I look at some of the other spaces that I have worked, I have seen sisters look at what I'm going through and they say, well, it's not my fight.、Uh, that, that's, that's just you. But it's not just me. I know it's not just me, but you figured a way how to go through it, how to ignore it, how to live with it. And then you're studying your financial status, your family, how would that affect? But we all have to band together. I think at some point in time, we need to stop and say, This is my sister and she's down. And either you find something to help her, you tell her, I have your back. I understand what's happening. But if we were to go to more formal ways of doing it, we need more mentorship. We need more mentorship in spaces. For instance, if we are in a senior position and you see someone, don't wait for them to approach you. They may be afraid. And again, Colin, colonization has taught us to have this respect for hierarchy. So, why would I go to the general manager and ask, could you be my mentor? Even though the general manager may be black, I have been taught that that's not the way you do things. You go through the ranks. So, you're the general manager, you're the assistant director, you're the COO, and you see someone, you go to them. I see you, welcome. Check me in my office. I have a free hour next week. And use that opportunity to guide that young person, guide that new person into the system. Open the door. When you get into the room, just hold that door open slightly for the next person in. Don't go in there and say, I've reached. I am the general manager now. So, okay. Open the door for the next person. Hold your hand out. It's not just jeopardizing your job, it's helping the next person. There are different communities that I have seen just here in Canada, and they stick together. They build each other. We need to not just climb on the shoulders of our ancestors, we need to climb on each other's shoulders to get there.
We have to keep doing that. We can talk about the systems and the barriers, but we are our own savior. Again, it takes us back to our upbringing. Nobody's coming to save you. You have to save yourself. But I can't be the lone voice saying, do it. You asked me to be on your podcast, and I said yes, without a doubt. I am working with a partner in the U.S. right now. She doesn't even ask what we're doing in the organization. Every four weeks, she sends a new set of students. Because the first day she met me, she said, ooh, a next black lady. And that, that's the end of our conversation. We haven't had a conversation since then. Every time a cycle ends, I'll be sending some new students to you to help you out. Without asking me what you're doing, what do you need? Here are the students to help you out. And she does it without fail because she believes that what we're doing is worthy and she sees a fellow black sister doing something. Her hand is out. This is what she can offer. She can't offer me money, but she can offer me students to help me continue to build the organization. And for that, I am grateful because she's not stopping to question me, undermine me. She is building me while helping herself. And I think that we have to stop looking at all of these systems outside and start looking at each other on the inside. You need a podcast, I am here. If I need something, I call on you. And we go through our networks and we keep building from there. We will eventually break a door down one by one. But we're looking at this system too big. We have to get to the doors. This door first, next door next, this door next. Just now you'll see full divisions, black people or just racialized people, just full divisions. You see full organizations and just seeing black people because we held the door open. That's my take on how to be these barriers. The barriers are there. I'm not denying it. It's tough. It's hard. I'm, I'm having a few right now, but I'll still hold the door open for somebody behind me. Come in. Oh, my gosh. I so appreciate you, in many ways, reframing a response to the question I asked, because you are so right. We often can be asked these questions, and very quickly, we can name all of the barriers. There's a laundry list of the barriers, right? And at the same time, if we're continuously looking to organizations to change their culture, their environment, their structures, their processes... It's like you said, we're waiting for someone to save us who's never going to come. Exactly. And I mean, just to shout out Marvel characters, a few of them have been racialized. So (laughs) FYI, I don't think they're coming uh, for us. Um, Until, of course, we had uh, Wakanda and and Black Panther. And then we're like, okay, you know what? Here's Here's an opportunity. It took how many years of exactly. looking at uh, the lack of representation in what was the the hero and the heroine's journey. So thank you for raising that and for raising the fact that we each have within our locus of control and our power, mm-hmm. conscious decisions and choices that we can make that uplift each other. 
when you just share the experience of having another person across many waters, a different country, who just connects with you and instantly doesn't know all the things that they can do to support, but finds the one thing that they can do. Exactly. I'm curious, has that happened often to you with other women of color? No, you see this? No, (laughs) that's why I can say it. No, 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 no. I had a general manager that was black. No, but the intermediary between me and her was a white person. And that person said, no, you can't just go to her office. You need to speak to me first to speak to her. And (laughs) it was amazing that she found all ways possible that I could never reach the general manager. And I felt that at that point in time, when that general manager looked out her door Mm -hmm. and she saw two black women working under her, one in an admin assist position and one in a senior position, that was her cue. Mm -hmm. Let's have a meeting or let's have a coffee. Let's Mm -hmm. go for a walk. Let's have a chat. Let me take this opportunity to mentor you because I don't want you to just be here. I want you to be where I am. I'm going to retire eventually. And then when I get there, I do the same. So that when she looks out that door the next time, or when she's leaving in her retirement, she could look out and see an array of colors, an array of people, knowing that she had a hand in that. And I felt that was a missed opportunity for her. I've seen it in other organizations. It's a missed opportunity because trust and believe, Rohimi, the lady Mm -hmm. between the two of us, she hired a white person, underqualified. And she mentored that person to take my role. (laughs) And that is a missed opportunity on our part because we don't want to muddy the waters. We don't want people to think that we're hiring because you're black. We need to do that because that's the only way we'll have a door open for us. And say, I'll push further. I know a lot of black people are against volunteering. They would say that slavery is over. They don't want to give their time and their resources for free. Volunteer in black organizations. Help the youths that are coming up. Put your hand. You have the resources. You have the knowledge. Help where you can. Don't go and volunteer in a white organization because of clout. You're looking for the smaller ones, the ones that are working on the ground. And I could list a whole host of them. Not just mine, as much as I would love people to come and volunteer. I can tell you, I have had no black volunteers apply. We've been in existence seven months and not one person that identifies as black has volunteered. I feel like we could have an entire episode on (laughs) on just this particular area of reflection because what you really are raising, Dara, is how we've been conditioned to see things through a scarcity lens, right? (laughs) And so if we think everything is all scarce, like our energy, our time, then our decisions mean that we're only going to dedicate our energy or our time to the area where we're going to benefit the most in. Yes. And because of some impression and perception that if I do that, then I'm going to get further down the road. I'm going to get that one leadership role that's going to be available for me or that one opportunity. And so I'm I'm also hearing through your invitation for us is 
how do we break out of those cycles mm-hmm. and, and adopt an abundance mindset where we start to see volunteering and giving our time and energy to all different types of spaces, whether that is through a volunteer organization, a startup, a mosque, a temple, all these other places that allow us to gain a sense of fulfillment and growth that is not traditionally based on scarcity. I'm thinking of how much of my energy I have dedicated to organizations that have not always supported the communities that I identify with. I don't think I could redo. I can't go back in time. However, I can reframe why I make the choices and perhaps revisit uh, some of the places where I do want to volunteer that that may not get me on the boards that I'm applying to, may may not make my resume or my cover letter the, the sort of stellar document that reflects specific high-end names but at least decades from now we can I can look back and say I lived a life that was both in rooted in integrity and in community that's what's coming up for me I'm thinking about this scarcity mindset that you spoke about and we have to go back to slavery we were made to believe that there was this one coveted slave one coveted person that can get from the field to the house and that type of thinking it's all a part of to me the design of colonization so now we're thinking there could only be one in leadership there could only be one that looks like us doing this job and we are all jostling and fighting for this one position where i think that even if that's the case which I don't think it is, but even if that is the case, you're not going to be there forever. I hope that's not your end game. Why not create space? Why not mentor someone to do and to get where you are? Why are you holding on to it? We're not here for a long time. And since we're not here for a long time, we have to think about the continuity. We have to think about the legacy. A lot of people believe their legacy is about names and, and the big lights. But your legacy is all the things, your knowledge that you pass on. And so I would like to force people to start thinking about their legacy in a deeper, more profound way. Who have you brought up? Not just your children. Who have you taught? Who have you shown the way? At your funeral, that's when people come out and they can speak the stories of the things that you would have done, the doors that you would have opened for them. That is your legacy. Those people are going to remember you. And if we want to talk about generational change, that's where it starts. It's not just about money. Money comes, you know. But what's greater than money to me is power. And we have power in the numbers. Let's pass on our knowledge. Give that knowledge into each. And just share it. You're not going to lose it when you share it. To me, you're going to gain more when you share it. So share it. Pour into someone else. Don't only look for a board position. I mean, that's nice to have. (laughs) It's wonderful to have. It looks good on your resume. And I agree. We've all done it. But why not come and say, let's start a committee and start mentoring some young people. I interviewed someone back when I did my pilot study for the Black Women in Higher Education. And she reached out to me to do Kids at Work Day. And she wanted me to come and show 
the young people. It clashed with something I had and I was really disappointed. And I said, we can plant something. I can have a chat with them still. Because I saw this as an opportunity to pour into younger minds. Uh, to show them that there is this big wide world of opportunities and things that you can learn and things that you can do. And it may not be in a white space as well as it may. And I want to arm you with the tools to go through those spaces and make something of yourself. And sometimes it's not a title. It's just feeling good that you're contributing to society. Because a lot of the young people are lost because they don't feel like they're contributing to society. If we can do that, I'm open to that. So that's another thing you can say that I am open to do it. I'll find time in my day. I, I mentor as many people as they're willing to be mentored and just kind of open your eyes because if you don't know, you probably won't go in that direction. You'd say, oh, all I can do is with Tim Hortons. And you could do so much more than just with Tim Hortons. And I'm not knocking Tim Hortons on an honest living. I want my teenage son to do it. So it's an honest living. I am saying that there's so much more. You can be the manager. And then there's the whole corporate element of Tim Hortons. We're not just looking at who's handing out the coffee. We're looking at people who are running the organization. Tim Hortons has a wonderful foundation. If you want to give back to society, you can work in their foundation. And again, there's so many elements in corporations that we could look at. So you can give back to society, work in a high-end corporation, and not just give out coffee. But you have to know. Because we could think Tim Hortons and you're just in the, the drive through window, but you can be more. At least that's how I see it. I love it. I love that. Something that was so relatable with what you said is oftentimes as women of color, we can think that this is all, this is it. This is as far as I'm going to get. Let me not aim any higher. Let me not dream any bigger. Let me stay within a realm of possibility and feasibility. And I think what you just offered for many to reflect on is no, that that dreaming and that openness to think about the impossible is also within our reach. And you've given such incredible advice, Tara, for those who are in leadership roles to reflect on, you've come this far, how can you bring people alongside the journey? As well as also relate to those who are perhaps early on in their career in reflecting on how they can also persevere and reach out and perhaps maybe even disrupt some of the traditional ways of showing up and expressing themselves in within hierarchy and organizations. I just wanted to end our time, which is sad because I feel like we could have spent many more hours unpacking so many things and just wanted to end our time with saying thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you for the truth telling that your data is informing people and organizations that I have no doubt will have a scalable impact in the months and years to come. And thank you for being an incredible leader who is showcasing a style, not only for your organization and your team, but also for those of us who are around to embrace a different way of being and a different way of leading. As we close out our time, I'm going to invite you to 
leave one value that you'd like all of us as women of color to embrace as part of our leadership? What would that value be? Own your own story. This is yours. Don't let anybody be the author of your story. And your story does not have to be linear. I know we were all taught that, go to school, get a good job, and then move up in the ranks, and then retire. Oh, your story could be layered. It could be a compilation of short stories. It's an excellent read as well. And you're not one element, different facets of your being and different facets of your life. If I look back now, don't want to say my age, but if I look back now, I think every decade that I've lived thus far, it's a different story. And if I had said that this is where I'd end up, no. I thought I would have been maybe the general manager of the organization I was working in when I was in my 20s. So leadership, yes, definitely. But there I thought that's where I would have been. I stayed, I built myself, and then I would retire. <laughs> and I know most people do that. But if you own your story, own it, tell it. It's your narrative to tell and share it with the world. You have something to offer every person that you come across that you meet you are worthy of that story it is yours and don't be embarrassed by it don't be ashamed of it no matter what you went through find the good in it the lessons that are in it and take it with you as you go on to the next part and your life isn't over at 30 it definitely isn't over at 40 and trust and believe it's not over at 50. once you're here and you're breathing your heart is beating. You have an opportunity to make a difference. Amazing, Dara. Thank you so much. Thank you for You're spending welcome. time, for sharing your wisdom, and for really giving us a lot of pause and reflection into how we can take some of the tangible steps and the concrete actions you've articulated mm -hmm. in making not only our own journeys, but also that of other women of color's journeys a little bit better, a little bit stronger and also one that is rooted in owning our own stories. It is a pleasure to be with you and thank you to many individuals who are listening to our time today. Thank you. Thank you. I love designing. That is actually my favorite part of strategic planning processes. And like many asks, I was once asked to design an initiative that was so new and riddled with every obstacle you can imagine. I knew from the beginning how important the evaluation and assessment would be, as this would ultimately determine if this would stay a pilot and never to be repeated again, or part of an ongoing offering. And the success, as hard as I would try not to intertwine it, would also be connected to my reputation and credibility. I had one condition in accepting this ask, to not use quantifiable data as a metric for success. Why? Because data points based on numbers or percentages hardly reflect a holistic picture, especially when change has evolved. And if I completed the project, with what we would often use as a metric of success, for example, how many people participated, then the evaluation would be determined as a failure, i.e., I would have failed at this initiative. So what did I use? 
I use qualitative forms: storytelling, graphic illustration, quotes, testimonials, and a description of the journey of designing and implementing the initiative as my metrics of success. These provided richer insight into what the initiative's impact was. Now, the initiative did stay a pilot, and to be honest, as time continued. I became less worried about my reputation and credibility, and more focused on what I was actually centering, or more likely, who—the people for whom this initiative was geared towards. There is always a risk in leading something new, and yes, with quantifiable data points like low representation. 6.2% of women of color hold board management roles according to the Prosperity Project in 2022. Really? 6.2? Or that recognizing how diversity of women in leadership roles means being able to understand how that will shift and improve economic and political outcomes for all genders. Based on the incredible work of organizations like the Canadian Women's Foundation, these remind me that there still lingers shadow work that all sectors and industries need to undergo. And as if we didn't have to do this, and yet here I am. A 2017 CBC article showed that the costs to gender inequality in Canada is 150 billion dollars. That was 2017. With inflation, it's got to be a whole lot more. This is a pretty big hit to not want to actively retain talent. There's an African proverb that says, "Where a woman rules, streams run uphill." Who do you need to remind of their strength and unique abilities today? And if that person is you, please reflect. And how we, as women of color, often turn impossibilities into possibilities. Now, always remember, the world needs more of you being just you. As always, take care of yourself, and see you soon.